U.S. men's national team roster has been announced in. Ivis, it looks like fans are hating the crisis button already. This is the SBI Podcast. I am Garrett Cleverly. Ivis, what's up? Uh, I'm, I'm all right, man. I'm over here. I'm getting my bug out bag ready, uh, you know, filling up the cans of water because apparently it's the end of the world. I know. I, you're panicking about this roster, right? <laughs> no, I'm not panicking. <laughs> I never panic, but, you know. Clearly, some people are upset and, and worried and nervous. Uh, that there were there were a rash of injuries just before the uh, rosters were put out this weekend. So all of a sudden, Jurgen Klinsmann's scrambling, and now he's got a roster with uh, only six defenders on it, and people are going crazy. Well, Ivis, let's let's look at this roster. I mean, clearly, this is the biggest news going on right now, and for people maybe looking at the roster, you know, or I'd say if anyone was in a coma and they woke up today, they, their first reaction if they looked at the roster would be WTF, but. For someone like you, Ivis, who, who pays attention to all these players, I mean, we've been talking about it the last week, certain guys who may get call-ups, one of those, Demarcus Beasley, another guy, Joe Corona, another guy, Terrence Boyd. We've talked about this going through the weekend. I mean, Ivis, here's your chance. Tell the fans that everything's going to be okay. <laughs> well, you know, there, there are reasons for concern. It, it, when you talk about the back line, the fact that the two projected starting fullbacks, Timmy Chandler, Fabian Johnson, did not are not in camp. They both had injuries. Uh, Johnson already had an injury, and he was trying to get over, and he didn't get over it. And Timmy Chandler, who was going to be the right back, has picked up a knock, and now he's out. He's got a hamstring injury. So, the, you know, when you had those those happen, along with Edgar Castillo's situation, and even a player like Jonathan Spector, who, who, who from what I understand, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann was looking at potentially calling in, all of these guys got hurt over the weekend. Then you throw in Jose Torres getting injured. Danny Williams getting injured. It, it was just like a rash of injuries apparently this weekend. So, you know, Klinsman was left scrambling. And uh, what we've been left with is a roster that has only six natural the defenders. And of the six, two of them are, are, are relative national team newcomers in, in uh, Tony Beltran and Justin Morrow. So when you look at that, you can understand why people are freaking out a bit. But, uh, you know, as I've already written on the site, um, you know, the, the, there is still a lineup that you can put out. It could be a pretty good lineup against Costa Rica. And I, for me, I still think the U.S. is going to win on Friday. Well, before we, we freak out a little bit, let's just, let's like you said, take a deep breath. I mean, Maurice Adu, he's shown that he can play center back for this team before. And then another guy, like we said, we just mentioned to Marcus Beasley, he played uh, in that Mexico friendly that USA won. He played left back. I mean, it was at the very tail end of the game, but he can play there, though. So even though the roster, when you look at the defense, is considerably young, we might see two guys who are listed as midfielders going back to the defense. Oh, absolutely. I, th- I just I think that's what's going to happen. I think he, uh, you know, well, nothing against uh, Moro or Beltran, who both played in the uh, Canada friendly in January, the shutout, and you know, I thought Moro did well. Uh, Beltran obviously played a half and didn't do as well. I just don't see either of those guys starting in a in a big qualifier against Costa Rica on Friday. And uh, it's what's funny is you know with the whole idea of Beasley at left back, I know some fans, some people really freak out about that and don't like the idea because they remember the qualifier back in 2009 when Beasley played left back against Costa Rica in San Jose, and he got you know lit up. He got torched in that game. wasn't a good game for him at all. But what needs to be remembered is nobody had a good game that day for the U.S. They were that soundly beaten, uh, three to one. They, they, you know, Costa Rica jumped out to a three-zero lead pretty early in that game. It was an ugly day, but you know Beasley's in good form as we've been talking about on this, on on the podcast now for a few weeks. He's been playing really well in Mexico, uh, and and now here he comes. He, as you mentioned, he played against Mexico at the tail end of that mm-hmm. uh, that friendly in August and held his own there. And I think you know maybe that showed. 
Klinsman something where he you know he he can see him as an option. And I honestly, I, I think he fits in perfectly there, uh, considering the form he's on and you know the opponent that they're playing. Okay, well, let's move up a little bit. I mean, we could talk about the defense forever, but real quickly, let's look at the goalkeeper. Brad Guzan, starting choice, obvious, right? Yeah, that's a no-brainer. I mean, he's playing out, out of his mind right now. Although I would say Bill Hamid not getting a call-up was a little surprising mm-hmm. just because I think he started the season really well. But uh, obviously right now, Klinsman rates Sean Johnson ahead of him. All right, Ivis, let's now move up to the next level, the midfield position. And another thing that we also talked about on, on the show that, that I've seen you mention on Twitter and on other stuff too is the fact that we might get an opportunity just to see Bradley and Jones back there as the two. Uh, right, we, we, we talked about it last week. Klinsman came out recently and said that he, you know, he's open to that idea and it's something that, that he might have to do. Uh, play Jermaine Jones and Michael Bradley as the central midfielders without a defensive midfielder behind them. Uh, I, I think it, it makes the most sense, especially when you're talking about facing Costa Rica at home. You want to attack. You want to, you want to have an attack-minded team. And you know I've projected them to play come out in a four-three-three. Uh, I think with the forwards you have uh, potentially as your starting three forwards and Josie Altidore, Eddie Johnson, and Hercules Gomez, you can play those three guys together and play Clint Dempsey behind them and let Jermaine Jones and Michael Bradley uh, do the dirty work behind that foursome. I I. I I really like that lineup. I really like that grouping, and uh, you know, it, it's it, it's going to be interesting to see how they balance out with the back four, uh, you know, based on who starts in the back four. But I, I think if you're Klinsman, you want to get that group together. You want to get that foursome together, and see how they fit. Was there anything that worries about you about that foursome up top if if they're not going to be able to to transition well or, or pass well? I mean, what would be the biggest concern at, at, at what you see out of those? Well, I, as far as concerns, I mean, Eddie Johnson, I think he's shown that he can. He can give you something on the left flank as a left forward in a four-three-three. If you're going to play three forwards across the top, you know he's someone who can go at people, uh, take people on. And again, remember, folks, we're talking about Costa Rica. You know they have some great attacking weapons. They have Brian Ruiz, they have Joel Campbell, Alvaro Saborio, Jairo Arrieta, another MLS player. But their defense isn't exactly a, a, this impenetrable force, uh, and they're a much different team away from San Jose, away from Costa Rica. You know, obviously they did well on the road in Panama to come back and, and rally in that game. But again, they fell down uh, 2-0 pretty early in that game. So I think their defense can be beaten. And I think if you put Eddie Johnson in space, you give him a chance to go at people. You have Hercules Gomez potentially on the other side where he's, you know, he's been playing on the right for Santos Laguna. He just gives you such determination and work rate on the top, such hustle on the right. Uh, and he's a deadly finisher. So, I, you know, I think... I love that that foursome with Clint Dempsey pulling the strings behind them. You wonder how how fit he is. If, you know, he's probably not ninety minutes fit, but if he can give you a solid 60, 60 75 minutes, uh, and you know, set up some some chances there, I think it's a it's a great grouping, and it's a good matchup. I think against Costa Rica. Well, if you want to see Ivis's starting eleven, you can go to soccerbyivis.net. Well, you already listened to the show on the website, but if you look to the right hand side, you can see. A thing, a headline that says, "A look at who the U.S. men's national team could start versus Costa Rica." I was when we look at the whole roster as a whole, and we talk about some of the bench players. I mean, Breck Shea getting a call up here. Graham Zuzzi. I mean, he's in the. He, you know, he's always in the mix. Terrence Boyd getting a call up. Joe Corona. What what bench players do you think could possibly see some action? Well, I think uh, for me, you have to look at Breck Shea. I think he's not someone that you know. I know some people will say, "How do you not start Breck Shea? He has to start." I, I don't think he starts just because I don't think he's match fit. Uh, you know, he has gotten some minutes at Stoke, 
but he hasn't gotten a ton of minutes. He's not someone who's going to give you 90. So if you can't count on him to play 90, you can't ne- necessarily give him a chance to start, at least not in that first match. Uh, so I think he comes off the bench. I think Graham Zussi is a starting option as well, depending on what Jurgen Klinsmann de- decides he wants to do. If he doesn't want to go with that court set of forwards, maybe he decides he doesn't want to play Josie Altador or start Josie Altador, which I think it would be crazy. But as we've seen in the past, he's he's not always necessarily turned to Altador. Uh, so Zussi is an option. And, and obviously Sasha Kleshton, uh, you know, he's... He's someone who Klinsman has, has given a chance, given some minutes late in matches. Uh, you know, he hasn't really done much with them, but he's still someone that obviously Klinsman likes to use. So I, I think there, there's actually some pretty good options there off the bench. Look at this. I have excellent coverage, you know, uh, resting those fears that people have. Well, you know what it is? I, I, I put it like this. Hey, listen, the Mexico game is the Mexico game is going to be tough regardless of who was going to be mm-hmm. there. You know, and obviously it'd be better if – Landon Donovan, Fabian Johnson, uh, Steve Trundle, Timmy Chandler, if all those guys were available, yeah, of course, it would be better. But I think, I mean, when we're talking, if, as we talk about this first game, this Costa Rica game, the game that we're all agreeing is, is, not, is all, not quite a must win, but it's like a you're kind of better win game. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just look at this roster, I look at this lineup, uh, and the depth is gone, but there's still an 11 there, a potential 11 there that should be able to win a game. And that, and that's what it comes down to. And I know a lot of people are nervous and freaking out because of the injuries. You know what? You can't do much about the injuries. And uh, because, I mean, as it as it stands right now, when you look at the guys who've been left out, um, you know, I don't know if there's any that you say, wow, how, how did he get left out? I mean, I think there's an explanation for all the ones who were left out. When you talk about Carlos Bocanegra, you know, as much as he's he's been the captain and, and he has all that experience, he just hasn't been playing in Spain for racing Santander. So if he's not, if he hasn't gotten minutes uh, for a while now, how do you bring in a player of his age to play in these, in these big physical games? You know, that's, that's the question. You can't afford to have him break down as we saw him break down against Russia when he got the injury, uh, had to come out in the first half. So you can understand why he's not there. Same thing with Michael Parkers, who's someone who I thought might've gotten a chance to get called in, but he's in the same boat. He hasn't been getting uh, minutes for Augsburg. So, uh, you know, as much as Jurgen Klinsmann has, has uh, earned some of the criticisms that he's faced, I think it's it's a, this this time around it's really it's been a uh, it's a really tough spot that he's been put in when you talk about these injuries because I mean I'm sure uh, a week ago he 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 went to bed thinking I've got Johnson Fabian Johnson I've got Timmy Chandler I've got Jose Torres Danny Williams I've got all these guys that'll all be ready to go and boom by by Sunday night you know the 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 realization started to sink in that, holy crap, I need to go start, uh, start <laughs> filling out this roster and start going to the bottoms, the very ends of my depth chart, and, and that's what we are seeing now. It's it's crazy, Ivis. I mean, it's, it seems like it's a constant roller coaster with the U.S. men's national team. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it's... it's Always up and it, down. One week we're happy, one week we're sad. One yeah, week we're happy, no, it's, one it's, week we're sad. It's just, it's, just it's, 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 it's kind of funny. It's almost comical at this point. Well, you know what it is? At the end, right now, the team's in transition, so... It's not a team that's at its peak. It's mm-hmm. not a team that's been dominant. So it, since there's this kind of uncertainty and this kind of like constant flux that the team's in, uh, you know, the, right now in this in this point in time, you you can totally understand how all it takes is a few injuries, uh, a few surprises to get people going crazy. Just because they they don't know what's going to happen. You know, they, they, this is uncharted territory when you talk about the U.S. losing their first qualifier. And suddenly facing, you know, a game against Costa Rica that is coming right before the Mexico game. So it's all kind of this perfect storm 
uh, of of anxiety <laughs> that you know US US fans are dealing with. But you know, like I, I'm I'm always kind of the level headed one, and, and I'll always say, you know, keep calm, carry on, look at look at what's there, and and try to be realistic. And and I'm trying to be realistic with it. You know, is it, you know, if you look at the the back four that you could put on the field, Jeff Cameron has started several games at right back for Stoke City, so that's not a, a reach for him. He can play the position. He can play it well. Demarcus Beasley, yes, there's question marks. If you if you end up starting him at left back, there are some question marks, but at the same time, he brings experience, he brings form, and he brings the fact that he is you know playing 90 minutes and you know playing regularly now. So it's 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 not it's not the back four of of uh, you know the the, the pre the, when you talk about 2008 2009 when when Gucci and Carlos Bocanegra were were at their peak and you know you had a defense that really could shut people down. No, we don't have that defense right now. The U.S. is in a state of transition defensively, but there are some pieces here, and it's going to be up. To, it's going to be up to Klinsman to make it work. And and if it doesn't work, it's going to come. You know, he's the one who's going to take the blame for it because it's going to be on him for for not developing some players, for not calling in someone like Eric Lehigh, who, you know, I know he's not playing at Aston Villa, but you know, I I always thought that if he you know had was given a chance, could have been developed into an option. Uh, so you know he's going to have to answer for that. But again, it's we still have to see it. We have let's let's see what happens with this group. Let's see if he does go with Beasley and 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 Cameron at fullbacks. And who knows? Maybe they turn out to be great at at fullback. Maybe they overlap well. They fit in well with the system that Clemson wants to play. And then then we're talking about a, a, a team in a, in a completely different situation come Saturday. Well, I was g- giving the considerable roller coaster that we're on since we're you know obviously down in the dumps this week. I mean clearly we're going to be in a good mood next week. Uh, you know, I'll tell you what, come Sunday when me and you are getting ready for the, uh, two episodes from now, the SBI podcast, uh, we're, yeah, it's either going to be absolute crisis mode or, uh, it's going to be the sense of relief episode of, of, I think, I think if you can split these games and maybe, I mean, you lose to Mexico, let's say, and not get trounced, I, I think, I think that's, that's fine. We, we can keep everything level, you know, par, we can be par, I think. I think you know what? If you win on Friday, if the U.S. wins on Friday, they're kind of playing with house money against Mexico because no one, ex- you know, yeah. you don't expect to take points from Mexico. Obviously, they want to take points from Mexico. And talking to some of the players, they believe they can get a point in Mexico. You know, based on the the, the game in August, I know it wasn't it wasn't their A team, but it was a pretty darn good Mexico team, and it wasn't the U.S.'s A team either. So. Uh, you know, I think that there's something that they took away from that game that gives some, you know that team confidence to go down to Azteca. Uh, I, I wouldn't bet on them winning there, but you know, they have, I think they have a better chance than, than people are giving them credit for having. And and we'll see, we'll see if they beat Costa Rica. If they go out and beat Costa Rica, if they put out a, a really strong attacking lineup, put some goals on the board, I think people are going to feel a lot better heading into that Mexico game because they'll know, you know what, win, lose, or draw. The U.S. still has at least at least still has three points in the bag, and and then you're talking about the the tail the the latter parts of the qualifying tournament uh, of the hex, and the U.S. was are they're going to have the home games in hand. And you're right, Ivis. When you look at their schedule, I mean they're going to be home for a lot in the summer, and, and that's going to prove to be important for this team. Having those home games, where obviously when you're home, it's going to be a little bit easier. Uh, let's move on, though. Let's talk a little MLS. Let's talk a little about MLS expansion. Don Garber, he spoke the other day at the New York Red Bulls game versus DC United, and he pretty much said that the New York team needs to kind of get it in gear because Orlando is uh, is charging along. Yes, it's uh, it was definitely interesting to hear him uh, talk about 
the the New York expansion plans and basically laid it out that uh, NY2 needs to hurry things up and get it together. What's interesting about that is, is really NY2, as far as I know and from everything I've heard and all the people I've talked to, is really Don Garber's baby. It's really his kind of pet project that he really wants to see happen. It, it, it's kind of his legacy. Uh, you know, obviously he's he, he's done so much for the league, so it's it, it's his his legacy is not going to come down to just that. But I think it's something that he's he's made made it a point to try to make happen. And I don't know if this is his way of kind of distancing himself from that in case it doesn't work out. Maybe he wants to distance himself in case it does fall flat. But at this point, I mean, he's pushed it so much, he's invested so much in it that you know invested money too. Right, he's the league has invested tons of money in lobbyists and and and, and all sorts of uh, about, research and projects one, and trying to figure it out. I think it's about one point uh, five million dollars so far around there. At, at least, at least, when you talk about just lobbying, but mm-hmm. um, so you know, where, where so where is this coming from? I think it just comes down to the fact that I think you have when you have Orlando really making a strong push, really putting their ducks in a row and getting things in order and having a really strong bid. And you know, for the longest time, I, I didn't see Orlando as as a as an option for the immediate future, I thought it was more of a long term option. Right now, the question is how much pushback or how much of a how many hurdles is is MLS facing in New York for that second team, uh, and maybe that is what's starting to make MLS reconsider uh, putting all its eggs in that one New York basket and starting to consider the fact that there is this other option, this Orlando option. And it's not just Orlando, too. I mean, there's been talk about Miami. I don't know how realistic it is, but there has been some talk about Miami. Uh, there's even been talk about Tampa, uh, I, I think. But uh, of those, all those possibilities, Orlando's the one that seems like the closest to being able to, to get off the ground and be in the league in just a couple of years. So uh, I think that is a clear sign that, that he see, that Don Garber sees a, a Orlando expansion as a much more realistic possibility than than he thought it was a few years ago. Well, Orlando's ready, you know, to to put some money down and build a new stadium. And and when you look at their fan support, they've done well. I mean, five thousand, just a little over five thousand the first season, and then last year they had sixty six hundred. Those numbers went up big time once they hit the playoffs. You know, but I, I, my hit thing is this, Ivis, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself right here, but. You know, when MLS looks at their professional structure for their league, do you think 20 is a number that they want to stop at? Or do you think, what do you, is there a magic number for them that they want to get to? Oh, they're not going to stop at 20. I think that that's pretty much as, as, as much as, I don't know if they've made any formal proclamations that they're going to go past 20, but I think it's safe to say it's pretty clear that they're, they're going to, they're going to go past 20 because it's obvious that there are, there is the interest there that they're, we're talking, a country as big as the U.S. is, you can handle, more than 20 uh, pro teams. And uh, it, I don't think anyone should assume that MLS is going to stop at 20. And, and uh, I think, if anything, that that's making it a little easier for MLS to consider maybe putting the second New York uh, team on a back burner and going and taking that Orlando option. Because if Orlando now and, and now you talk about Orlando having a big money, big money investor uh, as well from Brazil, who, who who's looks to be giving that ownership group the financial muscle they need to, to kind of compete. Uh, it seems like everything's in order there. So if you're Don Garber and, and as much as Garber, you know, wants New York and uh, wants a team in New York proper uh, and wants that second team in the market, as much as that's kind of something that he has put on his list of priorities, he has to also be realistic. And he's a smart enough guy to know that 
he can't let Orlando go to waste. He can't let all the work that's been put there go to waste, especially if they're that close to having everything they need to get a stadium built and 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 get a protein there. And mm-hmm. right now it's really starting to look like it, it's possible, it's realistic, and you know what? I, I never I never would have said – that I that Orlando would be team twenty, but right now I believe it more than I ever have. Right, so they're number one on the list right now. If you had to, you know, make a uh, a Las Vegas bet, uh, I no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say I'm there yet. But I think I've gone from the point where I would have always bet on New York to you know what? I'm just not gonna bet mm-hmm. because I think it's it's close. I think it's fifty fifty. I think it's totally even. It's a coin. Like for me, it's a coin flip. Uh, but you know what? New York's look. Uh, Orlando's looking really good right now. Well, okay. I, I just I don't want to brain on this now. And you know, with MLS expanding and adding more teams, what I meant by the twentieth question, my, my second part to that is, so I'm I'm assuming that promotion and relegation will, will never exist in America. Did you really just go there? Yes. <laughs> well, all right. I mean, you know, what? I'm just I'm throwing it out there. I'm throwing it out there. I brought it up because I don't think we've talked about it yet. But it, when it comes down to it, it is not going to happen anytime soon because the people that are putting in millions and tens of millions of dollars to get into this league to pay the expansion fees to pay for the stadiums to get into mls are not about to put that all that investment at risk of of going into lower divisions so i don't think you're gonna have you can't have a promotion relegation until you have 40 teams that have the owner's with the financial stability, the financial wherewithal, the stadiums, the the infrastructure to handle being in a professional league. Until you have forty or forty or forty or forty five or you know something like that, you can't do it. You just can't do it. It, it it's not as simple as oh you know we're gonna have twenty four twenty five because you know what that that's it's just it, you can't do it. These te- these owners are not putting that money in to to have that happen. They're not putting that money in to, uh, for the for that. Possi- that possibility that all that money, all that investment is going to end up going down the drain. The team's going to go into a lower division where there's just no no money or there's just not as much of a possibility to make money. It's just not going to happen. It's a, it, it, people keep looking, you know, when they looked at the at these other countries like England that have this, I mean, that took decades and decades and decades to establish that, to have all these teams really get to a position where they could survive that kind of drop. And and it's just not realistic. It's never going to happen. I, I don't want to say never. It's not going to happen. I, I'd say 20 years minimum. And that's if you get, again, you get 40 or more uh, clubs with owners that have the, the, the financial cap- uh, capability because you need to have a second division that is somewhere close to being a strong a strong league financially and at least close to the first division and that's not that's not the case now no knock against the NASL the I'll tell you what's interesting the NASL they they they're starting to get some owners now who've got some deep pockets that have some 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 ambitious plans uh so so from that standpoint maybe the, it, it is moving closer to that possibility but it's just not close to happening and and anyone and and I know there's some people who still hold out hope for that and who constantly go on about that there's a few especially who are just that's their thing all they ever want to talk about is expansion uh, promotion and relegation it's not happening for at least 20 years if not long well that's why i asked you i wanted to make those people happy ivis well, thank you. well there you go it's kind of <laughs> out of nowhere but you know that makes now people know where where should have a better idea of what's going on well exactly i know i agree with you on that i mean if i was investing a lot of you know x amount of 
dollars into a team, I would not be too happy, especially with the way that it's set up or the revenue sharing and, and everyone's equal type of thing. Um, let's keep it though, MLS Ivis. Let's uh, let's talk about some of the games from this past weekend. Most of these games were were not the most thrilling affairs, but there was still some spectacular play. I mean, let's start off with the game that we were just talking about that Don Garber was at. DC United versus New York Red Bulls. Bill Hamid came up big in that game, made 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 some big saves, and I, I don't know what it is about New York Red Bulls versus DC United, but of course it just has to snow again. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was interesting. Yeah, the snowflakes uh, were uh, were falling, but it, you know, it wasn't as bad as last year, thankfully. Uh, but the big story there was was Bill Hamid. You know, he, he turned in a Player of the Week performance. He was SBI's Player of the Week. He just he made save after save. Uh, on a day when the Red Bulls were really impressive, the Red Bulls dominated the game. They they just overwhelmed DC United, uh, and and their attack looked really good, except for the final the final th- play, the the shots. They just you know they put some really good shots on. They had they hit the woodwork multiple times. They had Bill Hamid make some saves that just not you know not many keepers make in the, in MLS. And and when you come away from it, I, I'm sure DC United uh, is feeling pretty good about their performance. Uh, Bill Hamid talked up his defense and how they did. But, you know, I'll tell you what, like, D.C. United, they've got some issues. And Bill Hamid's done a really good job to help kind of cover up these issues. And the issues, are, the main issue is their offense just is not good enough. Their offense has serious problems. And, you know, a- again, it's only three games, and maybe they can turn things around. But you know what? If you're going to play a 4-5-1, and you're going to have Leonard Pahoy as your target forward – you cannot expect your team to create uh, generate many goals. Mm-hmm. You just can't. And 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 it's it's crazy to think about because when you look at their midfield, they have Chris Pontius, Duende Rosario, and Nick DeLeon across across the three behind Pahoy. I mean, that group should be able to generate some opportunities. Well, that's, I mean, that's a pretty a, dynamic group. Duende Rosario is I mean, he's coming back from suspension, so I mean, he's he's getting into the groove of things. That's fair, but again, this is not a new thing. They weren't they weren't uh, generating a ton of goals last year either. They're just they 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 need a, a they basically they need a, a a big a big forward. They need a big money forward. I know they went and signed a young DP from Brazil who from I tell you what from what I'm hearing mm-hmm. is not impressing anybody. I, I mean I I got my people down in DC who are telling me that he's pretty he's looking pretty shockingly mediocre, and he's looking like a pretty bad investment. And that, you know again it's early days. Maybe he turns it around. Maybe he adjusts, but if Rafael is not the answer, if he ends up being a flop as a DP signing, then you're back to the drawing board if you're DC United. And I asked Ben Olsen straight up. I said, "Did you, you know, do you is this your team? Are you happy with this team as as constituted, or do you feel like you need to go? You know, are you going to look to the summer to make some pickups?" And you know, he 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 admitted it. He's like, you know, the team needs need some players. They they need some options. The, you know, it's still early though. He needs to figure. You know, they need to figure out what specifically they need. But I tell you what, DC United come the summer, they have to go buy. They have to go get boost their attack because the way it is, the way it's set up right now, they're, they're just Bill Hamid can't save them all year. He's great. He's having a breakout year. This could be the year that he goes from pro, quality prospect to full fledged uh, European transfer target. Like he's that good. But you know what? A, a good, a real, a great goalkeeper is not enough. You need an attack, and DC doesn't have one. <laughs> And obviously, when you look at the other side of the field to the other team, New York Red Bulls, there's a lot to be happy about with their performance. Uh, they didn't have, they didn't suffer a meltdown like they've had before. And Hamas and Olave came up big. Luis Robles, uh, he had made a huge save against Chris Pontius in the second half. I mean, for for the New York Red Bulls, Ivis, there's a lot of positives to take away from this game. 
Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think they came away uh, encouraged with their performance. It, it wasn't as, as disappointed as they had to be at, at only getting a point out of a game they thoroughly dominated. Uh, from, what, from what I understand, the mood, the mood was definitely positive in the locker room because I feel like they played – they finally played some of the best soccer of, of the year mm-hmm. that they had played. I mean, as far as pat- knocking the ball around, uh, as you said, defensively, you know, when you consider that they, they'd given up five goals in their first two games, uh, being able to really put in a complete performance, regardless of the opponent, uh, is, a, is a something to build on. And, and you know, it, it, it was clear Mike Petke had to make a move. He had to get he had to put Roy Miller on the bench. Uh, Roy, and so they took Roy Miller out, and by moving Heath Pierce to left back, Giving Marcus Holgerson a chance to start, uh, it, and suddenly, suddenly the, the squad looked really sharp. I mean, you know, Holgerson had his issues last year in the beginning, mm-hmm. but from from the summer on, he he was really good. And so now you put him next to a, a, a partner in Hamison Olave, who's better than anyone he played with, played with last year. I mean, now you're talking about a back four that could really be a, a top caliber championship level defense. Um, Robles is still. Uh, he's been a little. She's been shakier than he was last year. There's no doubt about it. He, he's looked a little unsettled, and you have to wonder: Does he keep the job once Ryan Mira is completely healthy? Uh, he's working his way back from from hip hip injuries, uh, and he, you know, as good as he looked as a rookie last year before the injuries, you have to, you know, you have to give him a chance of winning that job back. And it wouldn't surprise me at all, at all if he did win the job. But for the Red Bulls, the takeaway from that game is forget. The dropping points to a rival that as much as that hurts and disappointing as it is really positive signs about their attack and about their midfield especially when you think about the fact that Juninho didn't even start in the game he's still working his way back from injury S- you know it, it the team is looking pretty good uh I, I don't I'm not gonna call him a title contender but mm-hmm. you know they're definitely a playoff team once they get get some things sorted out and Ivis you were actually attending this game and you double dipped this weekend you also went to the Philadelphia Union hosting the New England Revolution Jack McInerney, for the second straight week, scored the game-winning goal. You were at that game. What happened? Well, I can tell you what. It was, it was a great day uh, getting a chance to, to go down to see the, the Union play after the Red Bulls game. Uh, hit I-95, and even though it was snowy and there were a bunch of mm-hmm. accidents on the way down, I made it down safe and sound. And the Union game wasn't the most memorable game. It was a pretty ugly game. Uh, but Jack McInerney, for the second week, <clears throat> finds a way to get on the scoreboard and you, you have to give you have to give the union some credit you know they 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 came into the season not w- without many without much in the way of expectations they're they're still a young team team in transition a team dealing with a lot of issues uh and now they've won two in a row and uh you, you know you have to give a lot of credit to John Hackworth for what he's doing and for McInerney who's really coming into his own now you know last year he he had a really good uh second half of the season uh, under Hackworth once they made the coaching change there. And now we've seen right away here to start the season that he's showing that clearly it's no fluke. He's just a forward who's starting to come into his own. And Ivis, you had to come away impressed, though, so far with the Philadelphia Union with this, with this young team that's going to be learning on the job. I mean, last week they beat the Colorado Rapids in Colorado. This week they got the victory here. Um, you know, do you think this team is still in the learning process when you watch them play, though? Oh, I'd say so. I mean, it's not even so much a learning process. It's just, I just think they're a team that maybe needs some pieces still. Uh, you know, I think, you know, people need to realize that, you know, as of right now, they have a third of their salary cap tied up in players who aren't on the team right now. And that start, that's something that's actually going to change pretty soon, as as uh, SBI readers found out this weekend. Uh, you know, the Freddie Adu, the Freddie Adu saga is finally coming to an end. 
Uh, he's on the verge of, of making a transfer move to Brazilian club Bahia, mm-hmm. uh, where he is. He's actually heading there tomorrow. He's, he's going down to Brazil and, and to finalize the details to see if it all works out. And if he does complete that move, uh, Cleberson, the, the World Cup winning midfielder, formerly Man United, uh, the Brazilian midfielder Cleberson will be going to the Union. So, I mean, that's a that's a big move for Philly. You know, they part ways with a player that they had clearly, uh, they clearly wanted no part of. They wanted they wanted nothing else to do with Freddie Adu. Uh, that that whole marriage had completely fallen apart, and now they're going to bring in a player like Cleberson with some pretty good credentials, uh, and, and is an experienced player who, you know, hopefully with his experience can give them some more leadership. So that's so it's it's actually been a pretty good week for the Union. Um, but as you said, there's still a bit of a work in progress. But it's but there's a lot of positives there now. Especially talk about that defense. Uh, their defense is looking pretty pretty tough. Jeff Park has, has slid in there and really become a leader. And Amobia Kugo just keeps playing well. And and even though it, now it looks like he's going to stay as a midfielder if Cleberson's going to going to be heading there, uh, he's still playing like a high caliber center back. Who and he's someone who for me I think right now is looking like a really good bet to be on that Gold Cup roster if he keeps playing at this high level. Well, I was, when, when you when let's move over and look at the New England Revolution right now. Very sloppy game for them. They they beat the Chicago Fire last week one to zero. But as we're seeing with the Chicago Fire, they're having a big time scoring problem. Um, but when you look at New England, I mean, you had a few good performances from a few other players, but but kind of mostly just kind of sloppy play here and there type of thing. You know, I mean, the Union did split points on the road, so they started off the season. I mean, two road games, they did get three points out of those two road games, and. You know, what, what, what do you, have you seen enough out of this New England team to, to kind of assess where they are? Well, you know, it's, for them, it's two games, so it's still it's still an early early days for them. We have to remember that they, they obviously added a bunch of new players to their roster, and uh, you know, Jay Heaps is still trying to sort out the best the best kind of combination to work there. I mean, they have so many options, especially in midfield. They still have Sire Sen working his way back from from knee surgery from the torn ACL he suffered last year. I think once you talk about having a, a healthy Sire Sen playing next to Jerry Bankston, playing in front of what should be a pretty good midfield, once they sort out who the best four uh, midfielders are, I think they could I they could be a pretty good team. I mean, they 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 still need Sen to to you know to to get back to, to close to 100 percent, and you need their defense to to kind of come together. Uh, but I do, I, I do think it's still early. I, I don't think anyone should write them off. Um, I think we should almost expect them to have kind of a rough start to the season, just because of you know so many changes to to a team that that wasn't that good to begin with last year. Um, so I think the jury's still out uh, with the and with the union. I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go too crazy just yet, but I would say it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a positive uh, week for them when you talk about winning two games, especially winning one on the road, and then having the Freddie Adu situation. Appearing to resolve itself, um, you know, and talking to talk a little more about that. I mean, I think it's a, it, if it happens, I think it could be a great move for Freddie Adu. You know, I think you know for all the all the the flack he took uh, going to the Union and, and not really uh, living up to expectations there. You know, I think he sh- I still think he showed quite a bit when given an opportunity. I don't I don't think that team was was all that good last year uh, uh, for him to play in. You know, like he he created a lot of chances. A lot of chances went unfinished. Um, and you know he's not completely blameless. He, he had his share of struggles. Uh, he, you know he didn't produce all the time. But I think when you talk about the kind of player Freddie Adu is, going to Brazil, the highly technical league, and him being a really technical player, I think it could suit him absolutely perfectly. And you know if he gets it going down there, and if he can play really well, it could it could be the break he needs. And I know we've heard that before. Mm-hmm. I mean he's played in so many leagues now and so many teams. 
But, you know, as he showed when he played in Turkey, uh, when he played in the, in the second division in Turkey, where he was able to play a steady amount of games, not deal with a lot of the, uh, a, a lot of the, you know, the pressures of, of his name and his reputation, he was able to thrive. So now he goes to Brazil, a league that's growing uh, stronger every day, every month with, with, with just the, the strength of the Brazilian economy and, and, and all the money that they're putting into it now. Uh, they're attracting more star players. It's a great place for him, but it's all up to Freddie now. It's all up to Freddie to do. He has to step it up. He has to, you know, I don't want to say this is his last chance, but it's it's one of his last, it could be one of his last chance chances to really, really uh, live up to, to, you know, the expectations. And, uh, you know, I, I think it could be a great place for him. Well, for the union, I was, let's put on, let's say you're the GM for a second. When Let's say Freddie Dude does leave. Union have a lot more money. How will they spend that money? Well, I'd say from what I from what I know from my sources have told me, uh, the real impact of Freddie Adu leaving will not be felt until next year because I think part of the part of the deal for them to to move Freddie Adu was that they would take on Cleberson, and Cleberson is not an inexpensive player by any means. We're talking about a World Cup winner, former Manchester United player. Uh, you know, he he's he's not cheap. So I think I think the savings this year isn't as isn't really much to to write home about. Uh, but when you talk about next year, you're talking about you know close to four hundred thousand dollars in salary cap savings. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's a designated player, or that's you know two or three players uh, that they can go get upgrades that they can, and that's not the only money they're going to have. When you talk about another player, Josue Martinez, the Costa Rican forward, who's now on deep on the Red Bulls bench, who they traded away, they spent quite a bit of money. To, to bring Josue Martinez to the union that it's not it's not really it's not something that's been really publicized but they did pay a transfer fee and that fee is hitting them hard this year so when you talk about 2014 that money comes off the books Freddie Adu's money comes off the books then you have you have a lot of money to play with uh, and then when you talk about all these younger players Akugo, McInerney, Zach McMath, Shannon Williams, Raymond Gaddis all these guys when you you know they'll be a year more experienced and they'll have a lot of money to play with, that's when the union could really build themselves a powerful team. It's going to be up to them to spend that money, and it's going to be up to their front office. Uh, it's going to be up to John Hackworth and Rob Artugan to, to do the spend, you know, to buy the right players and go hit the market. Uh, but that's 2014. For right now, they're still a young team coming into their own. They're going to have their growing pains. I still don't know if they're a playoff team, but you have to be, if you're a union fan, you have to feel good about the way they've started the season. Why well, so uh, in one of the games that was very exciting at the very end and it is now uh, picking up some steam are, are the comments of Dominic Kinnear, who was complaining about diving, and then he also complained about Kenny Cooper's potential handball in the box that led to the game-winning goal in the 90th minute. But do you think Dominic Kinnear ha- has, has a right to be angry about from this game with the diving in Kenny Cooper's arm? Well, I, I don't know if the handball on the game-winner was necessarily what was the only thing that triggered it for Kinnear. I think he, I don't think he was happy with, with diving in general in that game and, and, and overall in the league, you know, when you talk about the Dynamo, they're a physical team, they're a tough team. You know, they, they like to get after it and, and go after teams and make things tough. Uh, and they, so, so when you, you're that kind of team, when you're a physical team uh, and you, you know, sometimes you play finesse teams, finesse players, they're going to dive, you mm-hmm. know, they're going to embellish and it just, you just get the sense that, that Dom Kinnear's kind of gotten fed up with it. And, uh, you know he he knows his team has that reputation. He knows the Dynamo have a rep as being a physical team, and now he's kind of trying to turn the tide a bit and say, "Hey, you know what? We may be physical, but these guys are diving. These guys are play acting, trying to fool the referees, 
and something needs to be done about it. Uh, and I know it's going to come off as sour grapes. And, and you know what? It, it, he deserves some of that, you know, because, you know, maybe you, you don't do that right after that particular game. But there's some, you can definitely say there's something to be said for that. I mean, diving is an issue. It's a concern. It's not something you don't want. It's not something you want the league to, to, to kind of uh, let thrive and flourish. And MLS has tried to do some things. You know, they, they, they have issued uh, fines and suspensions for diving. So it's not like MLS hasn't done anything. But at the same time, you know, you, you need to be vigilant of that and, and be aware of that. And MLS referees, I mean, they, they <laughs> this wasn't a great week for them. Let's put it that way. It wasn't. It was really. It was a really forgettable week for MLS referees. Uh, and you can understand why Tom Kinnear got that upset. And when you look at the Houston Dynamo, Ivis, they FC Dallas dominated for most of the game, but I mean Houston really turned it on in the last 20 minutes of the game and was able to fight back with two goals. Uh, but was it, I mean, a lot of these players that played in this game also played in that emotional loss of Santos Laguna. Was it a little bit of a hangover for this team? It had to be. I mean, you know, there had to be a serious disappointment. It had to be a letdown. And obviously, you know, if you're, it, it, it seems at least that Kinnear wanted his team to get over it. He didn't, he didn't bench a bunch of players. He put all, you know, when you're playing a rival, it's tough to, to, to rest too many starters uh, and put out a weak team. So clearly, mm-hmm. that wasn't an option. But you know, there had to be some tired legs there. You know, uh, playing a, a tough game against Santos Laguna, and I think it warmed. You know, I think they were worn down, mentally, mentally and physically. So, you know, it wasn't their best performance. And you got to give some credit to Dallas. They took advantage. Yeah, your boy. Your boy, George John, with that goal. (laughs) Ha ha, yes. George John, (laughs) he's he's looking like a uh, best 11 caliber defender right now. Uh, Actually, almost, almost. Your boy. Um, Yeah, my boy. But, uh, you know, Dallas, you got to give them some credit. They came out with with a sense of urgency. They clearly uh, couldn't have been happy with the loss to Chivas USA. So they they wanted to come back with, with a strong showing. And, uh, as much as yes, it was it was a handball. It, it, it looked like for me, it looked like it hit Cooper's arm. I don't think he did it intentionally. He didn't know anything about it because he can't. He's one of the knocks on Kenny Cooper is that he's really bad in the air, and that play was him in a nutshell. He went up for a header and it manages to hit, hit the side of his bicep. Like that just shows you how kind of like he's just not the best player in the air. But I, he didn't mean to do. He it wasn't intentional, but he took advantage. He, he as soon as the ball was in front of him, he made no mistake. He put it past the keeper. Um, if you're Dallas, it's a good win to build on. Um, there are still some questions there. Their goalkeeper, Peruvian goalkeeper, uh, you know, he he had a he had a bit of a shocker there. Uh, he he's been up and down, and 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 you're already starting to hear the the the, the cries for Kevin Hartman. And did the team really need well, to make this change? Because Kev, for me, Kevin Hartman was one of their best players last year. But if you're the, if you're Dallas, you're still pretty happy about that game overall. Well, wouldn't it surprise me if the Colorado Rapids don't make a call to Kevin Hartman? Yeah, that, that's the one everyone's talking about. I mean, I, that's my that was my first thought. Now that Matt Pickens is going to be out for several months uh, with a broken forearm, mm. uh, but you tell you what, Clint Irwin, the the, the backup that uh, came in for the for the Rapids, had a great game, and all of a sudden, that's the story now. This uh, this you know little known player, uh, formerly of Elon, uh, has come in and, and kind of become a bit of bit, bit of a folk hero there in Colorado with that great game for them against the arch rival Real Salt Lake. So. Uh, even having said that, though, I mean, it's I one game. Get, I don't get exactly. I don't get how Kevin Hartman does not have a job. It boggles my mind. And I mean, I thought I'm not saying he was one of the best. He wasn't one of the top two or three goalkeepers last year, but he was definitely in the top ten, without a doubt. Uh, I know some people disagree. I know some people, especially uh, high up in the league office, don't seem to rate Kevin Hartman at this point in time. But I tell you what, he's got to be better 
than a lot of the goalkeepers who have jobs right now. Not starting jobs, but at least bench jobs, backups. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kevin Hartman, I mean, aside from the fact that he holds every record there is in MLS for goalkeepers, I mean, he had a good year last year. I thought he had a good year. So uh, Paul Bravo, you know, he, if he doesn't at least consider that or put in a call or make inquiries, see where Kevin Hartman is, uh, I just don't think he's doing his job because, is you know, again, Clint Irwin, it's a nice story. But if you're Colorado, you've, you've gotten off to a rough start. You've dropped a bunch of points. You need to turn around. He might ha- he's got to think about bringing in Kevin Harmon. And Ivan, so let's move on to uh, to your love affair, the uh, Portland Timbers tying the Seattle Sounders. Rodney Wallace is officially becoming the Seattle Sounders killer. He scored a goal in this game very, very late in the 91st minute. Excellent header. And this is the second time he's done this against the Seattle Sounders. He did this last year. Uh, Portland, they have to come away very, very, very happy with the result. Without a doubt. You know, when you think about Seattle, the way they started that game, it looked like they were going to break it open. You had Steve Zakawani with the great run setting up Eddie Johnson with that early goal. Mm-hmm. And I thought I thought, I thought, thought that was it. I thought the Sounders were going to tear it up, that they were going to overwhelm Portland. But once again, for the third straight week, Caleb Porter goes in at halftime, makes the necessary adjustments, and, and and Portland just plays a, a better second half, and and it, and it wasn't one of the prettier games for them, by any means. But they, it, you know, they showed a lot of heart and a lot of toughness to stay in that game and deal with Seattle's, you know, f- you know, high octane attack and, and just cope with that, and then to find that goal at the end. I mean, now you're talking about three straight weeks now that they've fought back. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't fight all the way back in in, in their loss to my. Uh, to Montreal, they, they fell short, but every single three straight games now, they have battled back and shown a lot of toughness, a lot of heart, and some and quality. Now the question and the key for for them now, obviously, is to get that going from from the first minute, from the first half, not waiting till halftime. And, and again, that you're talking again, you're talking about a team that that made a lot of changes in the offseason and is still kind of learning to play together. But the sense I get just talking to and listening to some Portland fans is that they're they're pretty encouraged. And they have a reason to be. Um, now, if you're Seattle, you're obviously not happy that you dropped those points. Mm-hmm. But it's still a pretty good week to be a Sounders fan when you think about the Champions League and then the fact that they made it to the semifinals. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, just to, if I recall correctly, I thought it would end up being a tie. I thought I thought Portland would, could could beat them, but credit to Seattle, they came out firing, and and Obafemi Martins mm-hmm. makes his debut. Uh, and, and I tell you what, that attack looks just outright scary. W- w- once they get everybody there, when they, when you talk about Martins, Johnson, Zakwani, Martinez, Rosales, it, I mean, man, that's it's just absolutely scary to think how that team's going to look once they're on firing on all cylinders. Well, I think also too is that we're maybe forgetting is the reemergence of Steve Zakwani, and, and not that I want to say reemergence. I mean, obviously he was injured from a devastating injury, but. I mean, it looks like he's back. I mean, that pass to Eddie Johnson from the wing to the back post, one touch by Eddie Johnson, was just nasty. No, it's he's he really looks like pre-injury Steve Zakwani right now. I mean, it, and it's, it wasn't just the Portland game. It wasn't just that pass. I mean, he he showed it uh, against, against Tigres in the Champions League that, you know, he is back. He has that speed again. He has that confidence again. He's, there's no tentativeness. He's not thinking about the broken leg. He is just playing, and he's sh- and he and he looks like the best eleven caliber winger that he was before the injury. And if he is gets back to that level, I mean, and he is, he's, he looks like he's there already. I mean, it, it, how do you what, what do you if you're if you're an opposing coach and you and you got their team on the blackboard, 
who do you focus on? You have to you have to think about Eddie Johnson. You have to think about Zakwani. You have to think about Rosales, Mario Martinez, and now Obafemi Martins, who just showed up. Uh, it's almost not fair. So you know, for me, their defense is still kind of their weak link. But once Ziggy Schmidt gets that group kind of going and flowing and and and, and knowing how each other plays, I mean, they're going to put up some serious goal totals. And I just. Because you, you, you just love stats, one of the things that we talked about a little before was how this is, I think, the, what, maybe like 400th and 83rd game that the Portland Timbers have not earned a PK? <laughs> I think, well, if you, if you talk to Mary Paulson, I think he'd, he'd probably put, give you that number. But no, it, it, I tell you what, the timing couldn't have been better. I wrote the story last week uh, about, this, about this streak now that the Timbers have had of not being awarded a penalty. And for the third straight game this year, they had a play that sure looked like a penalty, but once again, no penalty call. And you know, if you're Mayor Paulson, I'm sure he really wanted to say something about it. But he's already been there, done that. He's already faced the big fine. But if you're the t- Timbers, you have to you have to wonder what is it going to take for someone, for a referee, to give you a penalty? I mean, three straight games now. Uh, you know, and la- you know, th- there were the talk. There was obviously the talk last year about. You know, maybe they didn't get the PKs last year because they just weren't a good attacking team. Mm-hmm. They really didn't put themselves in the position to draw PKs that often last year. But this year, they've done it for three straight games. And for three straight games, there's been a call that you can look at and say, wow, that that really looked like a penalty. So, uh, you know, if, I, if I'm if i Merritt Paulson, I, I'm starting to, to, to wonder if, if maybe it's worth it to just rip the league every week. You know, come up well, with a Well, I don't know. He got fined 25 Gs last time. He's a pretty rich guy. Yeah, but come on, man, that adds up, and dude. An, and he's also an emotional guy. So, but uh, he's also a smart guy. He probably knows. That. It adds up. At the end of the day, well, no, it, you know what? Trust me, I doubt highly. Mary Paulson cares about the fine totals. I think he realizes though that it doesn't get him anywhere. The league's not going to change anything by him, you know, spouting off on. I think he made the point last year, and now I think I, I think enough people now ha- have started to kind of notice this, and now we're talking three straight games. So you, you're going to want to. Pay attention to those Portland games going forward and, and see if the league is going to, you know. What can you do, though? That's the funny thing. If you're MLS, what can you do? It's not like you're going to go tell your refs, hey, if you're going to do a Portland game, make sure you're very clear on these PK calls. Like, like, they, like, they, like they don't already know that. You know, so what, what's the deal? I don't buy into conspiracy theories. I don't think MLS is targeting the Timbers. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it, it's gotten comical at this point, though. If you're a Timbers fan, you just have to, like, throw your hands in the air. Well, it's been 37 games. Totaling 3,264 minutes. You wrote this on your website. 17 months. In the last, 17 months. Think about that since their last PK. Yeah, and those numbers were before Saturday's game. Well, I just added Saturday's game and I did the oh, math. I did the math. I okay, did 3,274 plus 90 is 3,264, nice. putting my ASU degree to work. Look at that. There you go. Math minor. But, uh, you no, know, the, not at all. I, I, don't, I know what's going to happen. You know what, though? If you're the good, the positive thing for Portland. Is that they are? It's clear they're they're a more dynamic attacking team. They're putting themselves in more positions to 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 get to try to get those calls. Mm-hmm. And I think it's only going to be a matter of time before they do get a penalty. LA Galaxy versus Chivas USA. It was a draw, but I think for Chivas USA, it's more of a moral victory. It's more. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not just a moral victory. I mean, it, it, it's it was an ugly game. No question about it. Chivas USA, uh, even before the questionable, highly questionable red card, 
uh, it wasn't like they were playing the most attractive game. But they, they went out there to make things difficult on L.A. L.A. is the best team for me, the best team in the league, strongest team in the league. And even though they, they, they might have been coming off a little, a little fatigue from the midweek Champions League game, you know, they're a team you, you just, you know, most teams in MLS have to worry about uh, keeping numbers back, trying to make things ugly. Because if you try to go toe-to-toe with the Galaxy, more often than not, you're going to get blown away. You're going to lose. So clearly Chivas set out to do that, and then you get a, 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 a red card, a straight red card that I haven't found anybody yet who, who can look at that replay and say that that was a red card. I thought it was a horrific call. Uh, and even with being a man down for 50 minutes, Chivas USA got away with a the point. They, you know, even going down a goal late, Jack, Jack McBean with, with a great header to give L.A. the late lead, for them to come back down and orchestrate a goal, and Carlos Alvarez, you know, storybook fashion in his professional debut in his hometown of L.A., scores the winner, the number one pick for them. I mean, that's – Chivas USA, you got to be feeling pretty good. And what's funny is that despite all that, after the game, the head coach, Chelis, the, the most entertaining guy in MLS, just got on his soapbox and totally went off on everything you could think of, and including uh, the, the referee, the, the red card call, and the Galaxy pretty much said – the Galaxy is MLS's team. They're the league's team. They're New York's team. They're, oh, yeah. You know, no one cares about Chivas. LA gets all the calls. Uh, you know, the, his guy got the red card because... Yeah, well, you know what? When you're the defending champions, then then you can start worrying about all those calls going for you. Yeah, you know... That it, Stop it. Is there, I, Dude, I don't buy that. I'm always... You know what? I'm always up for it. If you're, if you're MVP, you're going to get some calls that are going your way. If you're the championship team you're going to get some calls that are going to go your way I've, I've always felt like that that's just the way it's always been and that's for every single sport you know what there's something to be said for that my my the one that i kind of scratched my head at a little bit was was his notion that you know the reason his defender uh received the red card was because he was a player that the league never wanted in the league in the uh, first see, place yeah that's ridiculous that one was a pretty interesting i thought that was a bit of a reach because trust me the league can't, you know, you're giving a league a lot of credit, <laughs> a lot of credit for orchestrating that kind of, uh, yeah, you know, that's a big vendetta, inside vendetta. job. The red card came because MLS never wanted that player, and since it was well, the player they wanted, they decided to somehow put a hit on him and get him a red card. That's, I, I'm sorry, that's a little absurd. Well, the red card is 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 a very, very, very bad call. You can, yes, you know what? MLS referees make bad calls. That's not a new thing. That's been around since day one. The referees are not that good. But there's a big there's a big leap from saying MLS refs are terrible to the MLS refs are part of a conspiracy that the league is is has put out uh, put together to to go after players they don't like. That's I mean come on that's your tinfoil hat time there. I like that tinfoil. That's pretty funny tinfoil hat right there. Well, the rookie Carlos Alvarez scored late in the 89th minute, and uh, I mean I, I read some of his comments after the game, and I mean you really like what he has to say. I mean his thoughts on the goal. I mean opening comment is it's not my goal, it's the whole team's goal. So you know you have to. Uh, I, I like that comment. That's that's just my personal take. No, I tell you what, Carlos Carlos Alvarez is a great kid. He's a mature kid. He's a, a four year college player. You, you know, so he's not. You know, when you when you think rookie, I mean the, normally the idea of rookie, you think someone who's really inexperienced, someone mm-hmm. who just doesn't. You know isn't isn't that mature but it's in soccer it's it's different you know when you talk about a four-year college player someone who's kind of had that life experience of live of, of going to college and, and living on their own i mean a lot of times these four-year college players i mean they're 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 ahead of the curve as opposed to 
uh, you, when you talk about acad- you know, academy players or these teenage mm-hmm. players that come into the league and, and don't have that life experience of going through college. Um, and that's why a lot of times these, these college players with that experience, that's why a lot of times when you, when you see these four-year college players come into MLS, uh, you know, they're, they're better equipped to handle that transition to the college game, uh, to the professional game and, and just that structure. So, you know, Alvarez you know, had, had a chance to talk to him quite a bit, uh, you know, when he was in college. And through the combine and the draft, and, and I mean, the kid is is sharp. He's very sharp. And, and as much as you know, could could they have gotten him later in the draft? Sure, that's possible. But you never could say that he was a bad player for them to take because you understand why. Uh, aside from him being mature, he's bilingual. He's Mexican American. He's from LA. Mm-hmm. He he ticks all the boxes. And 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 to see him in his very first game score an equalizer against the Galaxy. I mean, you could not have written it any better than that. Well, that's what Chivas USA wants to do. I mean, they want to tap into that that uber rich talent area of California, and there's a lot of talent out there. Without a doubt, I mean, if you look at that, I mean, all you have to do is look at, at the Galaxy and, mm-hmm. and a player like Jose Villarreal, who you know he's from that area, mm-hmm. he's a star in the making, and they and if you're the Chivas USA, you just have to kick yourselves and say, man, like if we maybe had our act together from from day one back in 2005, maybe Jose Villarreal would be a Chivas USA player. So. Um, even though even though Chelis has already said that he's probably only going to be there for a year, uh, <laughs> if, you're the, if you're the goats and you ever figure things out and you ever put together a really good long-term plan, I mean, there's, there's not many places better to kind of plant your flag and really go after the youth player market than L.A. Well, not that I want to go too, too far ahead, but uh, Chivas USA, their academy team, their academy team's, uh, their U16 team is, is pretty good. So I think they're they're trying to, they're, they're tapping into that resource now. Yeah, well, that's what you hear. You know, you hear that they have some good talent coming up uh, through the ranks. Um, but the, another problem is that they, they've had a lot of turnover there. I mean, mm-hmm. when you talk about Robin Frazier, uh, you know, getting getting the boot last year, uh, that led to a shakeup in their youth academy setup. And then they did have some players move on from there who were a part of that setup. Uh, ben Spencer, if I recall correctly, was a, was a part of that. He's someone who... Who Greg Vanny and, and Robin Frazier kind of brought over there, so they lost that. They lost him, um, but it, it's encouraging. I mean, the, the better they do as a team, the better chances they have of, of establishing some real ties in that mar- in that market. Well, I guess as we learned, you know, obviously winning takes care of any issues that you have, or blah blah blah, or yada yada yada. As we wrap up the show here, is there anything that we failed to discuss? I think we've we've touched on all the key points uh, to talk about this week. You know, World, uh, World Cup qualifying and the U.S. men's national team is is going to dominate every, everything we talk about this week. Even though MLS is not taking a week off, mm-hmm. there's going to be a full slate of games on the weekend. But all anybody's going to want to talk about is the upcoming World Cup qualifiers and how Jurgen Klinsmann uh, puts together a lineup with this group. Uh, you know, they play Costa Rica on Friday. By no means is that going to be an easy an easy game. Costa Rica's tough team. And they're a team that, you know, if you look at the, those teams that could compete with the U.S. for one of those three guaranteed uh, World Cup spots, Costa Rica, you have to think, is, is the favorite among those second-tier teams. So if, the US, if you're the U.S., it's not only about three points and, and kind of getting off of the schneid and getting off of that losing track, but it's also distancing yourself from the second tier. Mm-hmm. And, and they can do that by beating Costa Rica. Uh, and then that definitely takes a ton of pressure off going into Mexico because then you don't have to get something out of the Mexico game. 
and you and, and it'll make it a lot easier for the team to go down there uh with their minds clear that you know we want to we want to get a win we want to try to get a tie but it's not the end of the world and if they lose on friday that changes everything then there's so much more pressure on on you and i i get all this stuff that that u.s soccer put out about all the games mean the same all the points are the same but you know what if you lose this costa rica game it puts so much more pressure on you um to to get something out of that mexico game but not to get ahead of ourselves the the, the big game is is friday it's in denver i still like their chances go to sbi and check out the projected lineup and I tell you what, I like that lineup. That lineup that you can put together, uh, I think, can absolutely not only get three points, but put put a, a pretty emphatic victory on Costa Rica. It's 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 a must win, Ivis. For me, it's a must win. USA has to win. You you can't lose this game and go into Mexico and lose that game either. Then we can for reals hit the panic button. <laughs> if the U.S. starts zero three, yes, it's time. It's doomsday prepper time in U.S. national team land. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. The game is Friday. And, the, you know, it, it's, a, it, it's all on Klinsman now. Mm-hmm. He's, got, you know, he's got to put this team together. He's, it's it's going to be a bit of a makeshift squad. But the talent is there. As much as I know people are freaking out and people don't think the talent is there, there is still talent there. You talk about the forwards. All the guys that are in form in the forwards. You talk about the midfield with Bradley and Jones that could really lock things down. Um, it's a, he's just got to put a defense together uh, that's going to give Brad Guzan a chance to do his thing. And I think Brad Guzan's been outstanding for Aston Villa. Uh, people should should really take take heart in that. U.S. fans should take heart in the mm-hmm. fact that he is playing really well. And as much as it it hurts to to not have Tim Howard there, not have that experience, uh, you want to you want a hot keeper. And right now he is so in form. Uh, and, and you know what? As much of a makeshift defense as the U.S. might have on Friday, how, I don't know if it'll be worse than the Aston Villa defense that he plays behind all the time. So, oh, stop yeah. it! Oh so, my gosh! You know, Look at you pissing saying, people pissing saying. people off now. Great job, Ivis. Just saying. I don't. I don't even think any Villa fans would argue that their 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 defense is any good. Trust me. There's always one. There's always one guy. There's probably one. But again, don't go crazy yet. Don't go into panic mode. Wait till Friday. Watch Friday's game. And I, I, I honestly think the U.S. has a really good chance of putting out, putting on a pretty good performance. Well, if you're in Denver and you want a free drink, hit up Ivis. He'll be in Denver, and he said he'd be paying for everyone's drinks if USA wins. <laughs> if USA wins, trust me. If the USA wins on Friday, I, th- I think I'll be. I think people will be buying me drinks. So why you? Know, I don't know. People, you know what? I, I have to say, uh, SBI readers are, are great. They, they, you know, they, they, they anytime I, I, I meet meet the, meet the uh, readers. Uh, at these at these AO parties and at, at qualifiers and whatnot, they're always great. They always want to buy me a drink, so I'll, I'll always blame them for if if you see me and you and I look drunk, it's not because I'm a lush. It's because you know I just can't say no when people buy me drinks. <laughs> I have no comment. <laughs> All right, I was <laughs> what? I I will be in Denver though, so uh, and Mexico, you know, right? I, I will be in Denver as of right now. But yeah, I should I will be in Mexico right now. My plans are to be in Mexico, um, so. If you're if you're going to be making either one of those trips, make sure you check out Twitter. Uh, so, so you know maybe we'll we'll have some kind of meetup um, on Thursday night. There's going to be a lot of stuff. U.S. Soccer is actually putting together quite a bit of stuff in in Colorado, in Denver. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. If you happen to be in the area, definitely check out uh, check out the uh, SBI Twitter account uh, to see what we're doing out there. Well, everyone uh, enjoy the games. Everyone have a have a uh, have a safe week. Don't get too crazy watching these games and getting drunk. Ivis, have a great time at the game. 
Uh, thanks a lot. And uh, we will have another show uh, before Friday's game to, to get everyone ready. And, 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 and I'll, uh, I'll be reporting from... Denver. Oh, we are? Oh, I didn't know we're having a show. This is, this is news to me. Am I flying up to Denver, too? Well, no, I'm afraid not. Thankfully, we have uh, Skype. That'll take care of everything. Oh, well, all right, whatever. We're not there yet. Maybe, maybe down the road. Once, SB, once the SBI podcast gets, gets uh, picked up and we get a big-time sponsor, we'll be everywhere. Just you wait. Oh, I, I, I hope so. That, that, that way you can take me on these magical trips. How, you know what? You should just get in a car. You I can't. I can't. Them. I can't. I'm in Dallas all next week for the Dallas Cup. Oh, uh, there you go. For Grande Sports Academy. All right, Ivis, that wraps up the show today. We want to thank everyone for listening. Ivis hates it when I mention my job on the show. Uh, everyone have a safe week. Uh, we'll, like Ivis said, we'll preview the game a little bit later this week with Ivis in Denver. Uh, this is the SBI Podcast. Thanks for listening.